Hi, I'm Barnabas from Foundry Kids from downstairs, and I'm going to read you this verse. You made me in my, you made my whole beginning. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in a, an amazing way and in a wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. I know this very well. Well, thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Barnabas. And thank you to the wide circle of crew here that, that helps just lead us this morning in song. I'm really grateful for that. Um, we are going to work through Jonah chapter 3 over the course of the next few minutes. And uh, we've been going through as a church the book of Jonah line by line. And, uh, and, and, and so if you missed a week, first thing I would just commend to you is that our YouTube channel and our podcast have got like weeks one and two. And I would, I would point you in that direction because um, we're, we're now going to get to probably the second part of the story of Jonah that you know. Um, but, but maybe you're just thinking about it from a slightly different angle than, than maybe just the, the, in the lullaby effect of being acquainted with this text. Maybe for some of us as early as the time that we were dedicated to the Lord, um, just so that we might see it with fresh eyes. Um, I'm going to work through this verse, Jonah chapter 3, if you want to follow along. Uh, picking it up in, in verse 1. Now, where we ended last week was a really poetic and beautiful moment where this guy named Jonah, who's a pretty terrible prophet, um, but is called to be a prophet— is it tries to run from God's call. He gets stuck in a, in, a, in, a, in a storm on the seas. He's thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish for three days. And the poetic end of chapter two is that this guy, Jonah, our friend, gets vomited onto dry land. So um, uh, that's where we're going to begin with, uh, with our friend Jonah this morning. It's a, chapter three, verses one and two. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you. So we'll stop there for a moment. There's two things in that little, those first two lines that are important for us to remember based on where we ended. Jonah has, has bargained with God in the belly of the fish and called out to God in the belly of the fish. He gets vomited onto dry land. And there's two things that should pique our interest that are intended to pique the interest of the reader. Number one is that God still cares about what's happening in Nineveh. Because the great city of Nineveh is not called the great city of Nineveh because of its charitable works or its contributions or its philanthropy to the world. This is a, a violent superpower that is bringing active harm to the people around them at the time Jonah is invited to go, right? So it's not great because it's, it's done amazing things. It's great in size. It's great in scope. It's great in influence. It's great in, in, in fear and power, right? That's, that's the great city that he's supposed to go to. The idea that God still cares about this place should, should be a bit of a mystery to, to the reader. The second that's like it is that God is still interested in Jonah being a part of this thing. Jonah has gone 2,400 miles the opposite direction or tried to. Jonah has done whatever Jonah has felt like doing. And even in the midst of a shipwreck, wasn't particularly helpful, was pretty self-interested. It would be the point where if you or I were maybe leading the charge, we would say, hey, maybe let's get someone else. Let's maybe get someone that actually wants to do it. But Jonah, it seems that God would love to stir in Jonah and perhaps in us 
the idea that God is still wanting to work and move through him despite the fact that he's been pretty unfaithful and pretty self-interested up to this point. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the way we maybe tell ourselves this story based on the flannel graph that we saw or the video we watched back in the day is that Jonah goes in with like the gusto and fervor of a guy who's got a second lease on life. Right? He's, he's Ebenezer Scrooge running around town throwing coins and gooses at all the, all the people. Not so fast. Right? Three-day journey into Nineveh. He stops a day in. We get eight words of recorded sermon. It's possible that we just are getting a summary. Right? Like if you went to lunch today and you were like, hey, what was the sermon about? And you said Jonah chapter 3 and some other stuff. You wouldn't be wrong. That wouldn't be wrong. So perhaps this is just a summary, but if you've ever read chapter 4 of Jonah, I think you might get the suspicion that there's more going on here. And the more going on here is probably what happened in your life when, you're, when your mother or father or grandma was like, hey, can you dust the whatever? And you like took the duster and you went, dusted. <laughs> or you were asked to clean the bathroom and you lifted the toilet and you were like, well, the water's clear, clean. It looks clean. Jonah's eight words don't have a lot of context, don't give a lot of gateway to the love of God or the, the patience and compassion of God. It's, he just kind of does the bare minimum. And I actually think my, my inclination is to think that that's what the, the text is trying to capture for us. That he goes a day in, he says eight words, and hopes in the end that he will be right. I told you they aren't interested. I told you they don't care. I told you they're violent. I told you they're terrible. I told you they're the worst of the worst and they don't deserve your love. But what happens instead? He does, the, he does the very little, but God does much. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. So, so this is this is like the whole town ripples. Now, again, this is, there's a hyperbolic effect in this. This is a way to say, like the whole city and the culture of the city is, is impacted by this eight-word message in some way. Even the king, they, they, like we, all the times in the scriptures we see kings like reacting harshly to the way their power is threatened by the way of God. It's the way it's threatened by the, the, the kingdom of Jesus. Right, we see this with Herod in the New Testament. We see this other places. But look at what happens here. The king has his opportunity. What does the king do? By the, king, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn his, from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So the king, in the hyperbolic nature of the literary style of the book of Jonah, like even the cows and the livestock repent. Not just to one or two people that were like the most irritated by the leadership of the Ninevites, like call, go in the way of God to the call of Jonah, but like the city and the king decrees that like, Put the, put the sackcloth, like put the repentance and grieving garments on the livestock because we want to embody 
a new way to see. We so desperately don't want to, 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 you know, to, to fall into the hands of what we deserve in light of the way that we've behaved up to this point. That it would be just to maybe wipe us off the map, but because of the way that we've wiped other civilizations off the map. But here, we're done with that. There's a new way to see. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah does the bare minimum, and God does immeasurably more. What are we to make of this, particularly on a day where we've just paraded beautiful children and families dedicating their children to the Lord in front of us to say, how do we be a community that rallies around people? Let's, let's think about a couple different things with our few minutes together. First, let's think about the idea that, that God is always inviting us back. This is a story about repentance. And I love the way Rabbi David Foreman says it. He says, repentance is always calling us back to our place of potential. We, we tend to think about repentance as like a word we would scream at people when they've done like a wrong thing. But this, the, the idea here in Jonah chapter 3 is to reclaim this picture of repentance. That, that there's something invited us in the book of Jonah to see the compassion and character of God. The way we get there is in this picture of repentance. For Jonah, repentance allows him to see God working and moving in his story despite him uh, wanting to do everything opposite of the way God would. For the king of Nineveh, he gets to repent and see how the culture of a city can change when the love of God is pursued over other ways of pursuing power. For the culture of the city of Nineveh, when you're like, superpowers don't like just turn on a dime. Like they don't just change overnight. Like you get to see the power of God rippling throughout the city. The book of Jonah is, is often read on Yom Kippur out loud is, is kind of a mark of the day of repentance. You know, this day of repentance to say, the book of Jonah is to say, like, hey, if you will repent, we will come back to that place of potential. Here's why I want to highlight that. Because I think particularly for us who are in the room and adults, parents or not parents, right? One of the things we like to do when we do not fulfill our promises or our obligations or, or things don't go like we would want them to we get pretty professional over the years at covering up, hiding, hoping nobody finds out, and hoping nobody finds your tweets that would get you canceled, right? And just bury it down somewhere and pretend that everything's beautiful and nothing hurts. That life is exhausting. And it's not the life that Jesus is inviting us to. That the, the pathway to freedom, that the pathway to the abundant life Jesus talks about is in the acknowledgement that we do not have it all together. That, we, that we, we do sin, we do mess up, that we do try to do things our own way and it doesn't always go as it should. And repentance is a way for us to reclaim and remember the grace and mercy of compassion on God, of God towards us. And, and, and to begin to see that potential played out. I have, I, you know, and as I imagine maybe some of you have, held a baby in your arms and made all kinds of declarations and promises about the way it was going to go and the things you were going to do and the cycles that you were going to break. And here's my guess. You are not 
100 for 100 in those declarations, right? That some of them feel very much like, in fact, some of them feel like real points of hurt or guilt or shame for you. And one of the things to point us to is that the invitation of Child Dedication Day, the invitation for all of us and adults, is that we're going to find freedom not when we posture and do our own thing and live with boldness and gusto, but when rather we say to humbly align ourselves to the way of Jesus. That's where we're going to find life. Second, um, that God's heart is bigger than yours. Particularly for the places that you might struggle to love. Right? And sometimes we struggle to love people because they're just difficult, right? They're people in your life that you love dearly, they're core to you, but because they're core to you, it hurts. It can hurt. There are other things in your life that just are difficult for you to love because, let's be honest, like they would do things differently than you would do them if you were in charge. And, and so, so one of the things that Jonah 3 kind of calls us to, um, Jonah, who is a bit unlovable— <laughs> And the city of Nineveh, which is a bit unlovable, in both of these cases, God seems to have a heart for their flourishing. It's a confounding picture of, of God's character. <laughs> but it's, I think it's good for us who live in Baltimore. It's good for us who, who navigate difficult relationships in our own spaces to be reminded that God has a greater love for us and it has a greater love for the people that are challenging in our world and the city in which we inhabit than we do. God's picture of mercy and compassion and grace and justice is, in fact, bigger than ours. So we are not to be a church that, like, is just going to slide into the comments and have hot takes about the city of Baltimore. Nor are we the kind of people that are just going to pretend that everything is beautiful and nothing hurts in the city of Baltimore. That we're going to be people that say, hey, sometimes to be on mission and to be present in this community is to acknowledge really hard and heavy things that we'd rather not have to deal with. But the human condition is such that we have to confront and deal with those messy things. And that's where the church should be. Even if we find ourselves challenged by those realities. Lastly, that God's... <laughs> God's, God's willing to work even beyond your willingness and capacity. Here's where we'll land. Jonah does the bare minimum, and it doesn't stop God. So sometimes you're the kid doing just that little bit of dusting at your job, with your responsibilities, but like other times, you just feel the sting of your own limits, right? Your emotional limits, your spiritual limits, your relational limits, some of you, your physical limits, it can, it can be a metaphor, right, where a lot of us maybe feel as parents, right? It's like, what is that day where you just feel like you get it and you've arrived and, like, it's not scary and terrible and awful and uncertain, like all the things that are, that are around are happening or all the challenging things I have to navigate? Um, my children are in high school, and I still don't feel like I'm winning, <laughs> right? And I don't mean that as a sort of a game, but I mean it's like, just to say, like, life has a way of just, man, there are times when there's just so much happening in us, around us, that, that you can get overwhelmed and just feel like, why do I even try? It just feels like I'm, everything I try to do to help people, I don't seem to be able to do. Or I try to help them and they don't want the help and uh, I feel like I'm going to lose it. And in those moments, right, whether it's by our own choice and walking away like Jonah or just by our own limitations, the story of Jonah is a call to remember 
that God's capacity to care and love the people around you is greater than yours. And so there's a freedom to align ourselves in in the way of Jesus and to ask for help and to say, I am at the end of my rope, God, but I don't think you are. Help me with my unbelief. We're going to move to a time of communion, which I think is maybe best summarized in this idea of with, with kids in the room and kids on our mind today, this, this childlike faith and wonder, right? The, the idea of, you know, so many times in your life, like the kid who's asking why and why and why, you are the adult asking why, why is this happening? What's going on? I'm trying to make sense of this thing. And yet, at the same time, going through things that are big and scary that just sort of make you cling like like you might want to cling to that parent as a young child when you were scared. Communion is a time to remember the beautiful invitation of the gospel, which is that, that God has come near, God has taken on flesh, God has conquered sin and death, and invites you into relationship. And for those of you who, who embrace that and are trying to walk in that, the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper is a way to say, I'm trying to live in that tension. I'm trying to remember well the story of God in the midst of the chaos of the stories around me. I'm trying to remember that God's heart for people is bigger than mine because I'm really struggling to love well right now. And I get, so I get a chance in communion to remember how I've been loved. Or just in my own limitation, I need to bring to God the spaces and the places where I feel the fracture of a sinful, broken world. And I'm reminded that God is present and listening. If you're new to our community or you're visiting with us today, there's four stations in the room, each of which are gluten-free. And we invite you upon the after I pray, like, to receive bread and cup, and and you can take it there. You can wait from your seat and go take it when you're ready at that station, or you can bring it back to your seat and reflect for a few minutes and remember well. And from there, we'll continue to sing and worship as a community, aligning ourselves to the beautiful, merciful, powerful character of God and embodied in Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, um, In this Jonah 3 text, there's like, there's victory and there's celebration and there's revival. And we celebrate that you can do those things. But there's also a lot of tension in this text. So thank you, God, even as you're making all things new, even as you're restoring all things, even as you're drawing people to you, you're willing to sit in our tension. To, to care for and love those with whom we struggle to have capacity to love. And, and to continue to work in our story even when so many of us know what it's like to just run the other way entirely. Thank you for your grace and mercy we find in Jesus, our hope and our salvation. Amen.